Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide, recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip Podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is only eight years old. Samuel Belke, or Sammy, as his friends and family called him, was on a road trip from Portland, Oregon to Crater Lake, Oregon with his dad, Kenneth Belke, in October of 2006. After a day of hiking and sightseeing, the duo stopped to play hide-and-seek. Sammy ran up a hill into the woods and vanished. He was never seen again. Sammy Belke's case has been the subject of numerous podcasts, documentaries, blogs, and news stories throughout the years because it is a complete and utter mystery. Cases like this are necessary to keep in the public eye not only until his family can get answers and closure, but also as a cautionary tale to anyone vacationing in the wilderness. Last year, on the 4th of July, I packed my dog Cabo into my Jeep and set out for Crater Lake. I followed Sammy's case for years, and since it's only about a 12-hour drive, I was going to visit the area myself. I got through the Los Angeles traffic, had some snacks in my lap, and a true crime podcast blaring through the speakers. I was ready for a great road trip. And then I got a little sidetracked with a few stops along the way. I stopped in Castroville, California to see the largest artichoke statue in the world, and if you haven't seen it, you're definitely missing out on a unique work of art. Also, the Bigfoot Museum in Felton, California, except when I got there it was closed, but then I made it to my campground in Big Sur, and I learned that car camping is not my thing. So I abruptly changed my mind and drove home the next day. Yes, I skipped out on a week of car camping through the Pacific Northwest, the Highway of Waterfalls, and Crater Lake. But at least I got to see the largest artichoke statue in the world. That being said, I plan on going to Crater Lake sometime soon, but I'll probably spring for a hotel or Airbnb. On that note, what is so special about Crater Lake National Park? Crater Lake is the deepest lake in the United States and the seventh deepest lake in the world. It was formed almost 8,000 years ago when Mount Mazama had a huge eruption. It was about 42 times larger than the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens. Because the explosion was so big, the mountain actually collapsed, forming a massive caldera. A caldera is basically a giant hole in the ground that's filled up with rainwater and snow, which is now Crater Lake. And the water is some of the purest in the world because of the absence of ground pollutants. You guys know I love myths and legends, so I found a few good ones surrounding the lake. The Klamath tribe considered it a sacred place, and according to legend, there were two powerful spirits who formed Crater Lake. They were named Lao and Skell. Lao was the god of the underworld, and he lived beneath Mount Mazama. Skell was the spirit of the above world and lived on Mount Shasta, which is another volcano nearby. Lao got mad and left the underworld to wreak havoc on the world above, but Skell heard about it and came to the aid of the people. The two spirits had a crazy battle with lightning, thunder, and fire, but eventually Skell won and Lao was forced back to the underworld. Because of this epic battle, Mount Mazama collapsed, and that's how Crater Lake was formed. 
The water is deep blue like the sky to reflect Skell's victory, and the little island in the middle called Wizard Island represents Lau. Wizard Island is a small volcanic cinder cone rising up almost 800 feet from the surface of the water. Inside Wizard Island is another little lake, so it's basically a lake within a lake. Definitely a sight to see. There's also a legend that during the 1800s, a group of miners discovered a hidden cave beneath the lake. Inside the cave, they found a huge amount of gold. But before they could get it out, the cave collapsed, burying the gold and sealing it away forever. Treasure hunters and adventurers have searched for that cave for over a century, but it's never been found again. In 1886, William Gladstone Steele, a geologist and conservationist, organized an expedition to explore the lake. Steele's efforts led to increased interest in the area, and in 1902, President Theodore Roosevelt established Crater Lake as a national park, making it the fifth national park in the United States. Because of his crucial role in this, Steele became known as the father of Crater Lake. Beyond the legends and history, there's some really mysterious stories surrounding the lake. People have spotted ghostly campfires on Wizard Island, and visitors to Crater Lake Lodge tell stories of eerie occurrences in the night. There have been lots of stories of unexplained objects in the sky hovering above the lake and strange lights and orbs all around the area. Perhaps the most interesting phenomena in the lake is the Old Man, a 30-foot mountain hemlock log that floats completely vertical. About 3 feet of it can be seen above the water and 30 feet below the water. It floats around the lake, basically defying the laws of physics. The log is carbon dated to be over 450 years old. It was first seen and recorded in 1896, so this log has been floating completely upright for more than 100 years, that we know of. In 1938, naturalist John Doerr spent three months tracking the old man's travel patterns, writing, The old man travels extensively and, at times, surprisingly fast. Between July 1st and September 30th, the old man logged more than 62 miles, and on one particularly windy day, it traveled 3.8 miles. But how does a log float vertically in the water? What likely happened was that a landslide carried the log into the lake, and along the way, some rocks got wedged into the roots, and they were heavy enough to stabilize the base and hold it upright. And that makes sense because it happened at Spirit Lake near Mount St. Helens. The only difference is that all those trees eventually sunk to the bottom when the roots disintegrated from being in the water. But Crater Lake water is so cold and clean, it was able to preserve the tree better, somehow keeping it balanced all these years. There's a lot to do in Crater Lake, and it's a popular vacation spot year-round. Visitors peak during the summer months, but in the winter, people head that way to go snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. Keep in mind that it's really, really cold in the winter, averaging about 20 degrees. In the summer, there's boating, swimming, fishing, hiking, cycling, and camping. One of the best things about Crater Lake is getting there. Highway 138 is also known as the Highway of Waterfalls. It's a gorgeous drive with a bunch of waterfalls, some that you can even see from the road. Almost like the road to Hana in Maui, except much colder. It was actually the first scenic highway in the United States and opened in 1916. Overall, Oregon is known for its natural beauty, outdoor recreation, culture, craft beer, and coffee. Hey guys, I recently discovered the Travel Squad podcast and I'm obsessed. I love it because it's super funny and it has great travel tips. There's three co-hosts, 
Brittany, Jamal, and Kim, and they've been friends for a really long time, and their banter is fantastic. Their episodes are totally binge-worthy and will definitely inspire you to take your next trip. The Travel Squad dives deep into the world of travel, and they have over 200 episodes. They share their personal experiences on location-specific destinations, domestic, international destinations, national parks, and more. They even have episodes on how to travel cheaper and better, which is always my goal. Best of all, they have downloadable trip itineraries so you can take the exact trips they've taken without the hassle of planning your own trip. Whether you're a seasoned globetrotter or first-time traveler, the Travel Squad podcast will ignite your wanderlust. So check them out now on all major podcast platforms to inspire your next epic adventure. Let's get to know Sammy Belke. Sammy was born on August 10, 1998, and was living in Portland, Oregon when he went missing. Sammy's mother, 46-year-old Kirsten Becker, was a manager at a Portland real estate investment company. Kirsten was already going through a hard time before this happened. Her father, a close friend, her dog, and cat all died right before Sammy vanished. And on top of that, her marriage also ended. So she was experienced in loss, but it's nothing like losing your child. Making things even harder for her, Kirsten was out of the country on a vacation to Italy when Sammy's father, 48-year-old Kenneth Belke, decided to go on that weekend trip to Crater Lake. Because Kirsten was traveling, he wanted to get out of the city and spend some quality time with his son. The couple divorced in 2005, just a year earlier, and divorce is hard on a child, but the Belkies were doing everything they could to keep the stability in his life. Sammy's father said his joys were as deep as his disappointments, that he had a passionate personality bordering on stubbornness, and he was loved by everyone that met him. His favorite foods were root beer, macaroni and cheese, and corn dogs. His favorite toys were Yu-Gi-Oh cards, Legos, and Tinker Toys. Sammy attended the Selwood Community Center in Portland for summer camp and was really popular with the other kids. He loved his swimming lessons and playing in the park. The center director, Kim Kalami, said Sammy always had a handful of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and fit right in at camp, saying he was a very active eight-year-old boy, just constantly giggling. He loves hugs. After Sammy vanished, she said, This is a small community center, and everybody knows Sam. He's one of us. Our hearts are with him. We're hoping for the best, just like everyone else. She was especially worried because he liked to play hide-and-seek. He wouldn't understand the safety issue with it. It was just a fun thing for him to do. Sammy was a normal, happy kid, but also had a mild form of undiagnosed autism. Being that it was left undiagnosed and untreated, it's hard to say what capacity it would have affected his life as he got older. His autism manifested itself in a fear of loud noises and bright lights, which hindered the work of the search and rescue workers because they couldn't use searchlights, air horns, or whistles. Instead, they called out for him just using their voices and a recording of his mother's voice, hoping that would bring him out if he was scared and hiding. Also because of his autism, Sammy loved hiding and crawling into small spaces, which made it that much harder for searchers who had to peer into caves and rock overhangs. And there were a lot of places an 8-year-old can hide in those woods. Sammy loved the outdoors and had plenty of camping experience. His dad also took him hiking and fishing often. But at his age, he had no formal training in wilderness survival. And even if he did have wilderness training, it would have been too cold for anyone to survive outdoors for very long. Guys, this is a particularly baffling case, so let's dig in. 
Sam and his father left their home of Portland, Oregon, and drove about 230 miles to Crater Lake to spend the weekend with friends. Some sources said the pair was actually traveling with Kenneth's girlfriend, but I couldn't confirm that. And they often took camping and outdoor trips, so nothing was out of the ordinary. They rented a cabin near Diamond Lake, which is only about 10 minutes away on the Highway of Waterfalls. On Saturday, October 14, 2006, Sammy and his dad spent the day driving around Crater Lake and walking along various hiking trails. It's important to note that they went out alone that day, rather than bringing along whomever they were spending the weekend with. The weather was wet, cold, and snowy, but the boys were making the most of it and enjoying the great outdoors. At 4 p.m., they stopped at a pullout about 500 yards east of the Cleetwood Cove parking lot. They were walking along the north side of Rim Drive. Rim Drive is the 33-mile stretch of scenic road that circles around the lake with lots of stops, viewpoints, and trailheads. Kenneth said they pulled off to play hide-and-seek on a wooded hillside when Sammy saw something yellow he hoped might be gold. Because it was almost dark, his dad told him to leave it and that it was time to go. He started walking the short distance back to the car, but Sammy wasn't following. He stayed on the slope, refusing to come down, so Kenneth turned around to get him. Sammy thought this was a game, so he stayed about 50 feet ahead as his father chased him up the slope. Kenneth later told authorities, I never caught up with him, and at that point, he disappeared over the top somewhere, and I lost him. In a matter of minutes, Sammy vanished, and he was never seen again. Kenneth searched for a short time, and then as it was getting dark, he flagged down a motorist who called 911. The search began immediately, and authorities sprang into action. When a child goes missing, my mind always goes to a kidnapping. But I think there was a very slim possibility of that, because they were pretty much in the middle of the woods. And it was winter, so there weren't many people around. In fact, Kenneth said he only saw two cars drive by the whole day. Regardless, they checked with the rangers who were stationed at all the exits, but they never saw Sammy or any child matching his description in any of the cars leaving the park. The search team quickly increased to more than 200 people. Throughout the search, they brought in tracking dogs, cadaver dogs, helicopters, and heat-sensing cameras. They looked for him on foot, horseback, and using four-wheel drive vehicles. They searched into the night, hoping to find Sammy before the temperature dropped but they didn't find a single clue. And then at least two feet of snow fell that first night, making it impossible to look for tracks or a trail. It wiped out the potential for any clues at all. It was as if he was just plucked right off the mountain. They knew if Sammy fell asleep, the snow would cover him and he'd die from hypothermia. But they continued the search anyway, praying he found some kind of cover. A deflated yellow balloon was found that Kenneth thought might have been the gold object Sammy was trying to get to, but authorities dismissed it as old trash unrelated to his disappearance. The next day, October 15th, there was a brief moment of hope when a helicopter pilot spotted what he thought were footprints in the snow going up a slope, but they turned out to be bear tracks. In the following days, a cadaver dog possibly hit on Sammy's scent, but when the other dogs were brought in for confirmation, it was inconclusive. The searching continued, and the snow also continued to fall. Being at 7,000 feet, that area averages more than 500 inches of snow a year. Crews searched the slopes leading from the rim of the caldera all the way down to the water, and that's a drop of 700 to 1,000 feet. They thought it was unlikely Sammy would have fallen into the lake because the trees and rocks would have broken his fall. 
But there's always the possibility he got down there and somehow went in, although searchers didn't concentrate their efforts inside the lake until much later. Search teams from neighboring counties and states showed up to help. The U.S. Forest Service, land management employees, national park experts from California, Washington, and Oregon arrived. And specialty rescue teams from Mount Hood and Mount Rainier loaned their services, but they still couldn't find Sammy or even any clues at all. Yosemite search and rescue rappelled down the side of Crater Lake Rim, and people on horseback combed the north rim of Crater Lake, hoping to find a sign of life. But still, nothing. The search was huge and completely took over the park. The parking lot used for the boat tours in the summer was transformed into the command center. There were 10 large tents and propane heaters set up on the pavement to house the volunteer searchers, and there were dozens of trucks from search and rescue teams filling every corner. The Park Service Command Team defined the search area at about 4,000 acres or around 6 square miles in a rough semicircle with Cleetwood Cove as the center. And this wasn't easy terrain to cover. The ground varied from flat to gently rolling, but there were house-sized blocks of lava constantly blocking paths along with thick brush, tall trees, and of course, constant falling snow. At night, the temperatures were in the mid to low 20s, so most people didn't hold out hope that Sammy was alive after a couple of days, but they kept searching. Frank Kral, coordinator of the Canine Search and Rescue Program for Jackson County Search and Rescue, told the media, We've got nothing we can hang our hat on. It's been very frustrating. Randall Lehman, crew boss for the Prospect Hotshot crew, said, We looked under every bush and nook and cranny and log and everything else. Rudy Evanson, the search spokesman, said, There are a lot of places an eight-year-old could fit into. If he's able to find shelter in place, it would provide some measure of protection against the snow, rain, and sub-freezing temperatures. Danny Zeman, National Park Service's incident commander, said, Probably the best chance for survival is finding a place to den up, to stay dry, and retain heat and warmth. But guys, this is just a child. Would he even know how to find shelter in this situation? After scans of the area around where Sammy first went missing turned up nothing, the crews eventually expanded the search area, moving farther into the forested backcountry north of the lake. But by now, the possibility of an 8-year-old boy being alive in the elements would have been a miracle. Sammy's mom, Kirsten, was notified the second Sammy went missing and returned home immediately. Despite wanting to be outside helping in the search, the couple were cooped up in a duplex near park headquarters. They were briefed twice daily from search commanders, but weren't allowed to help because authorities didn't want the dogs to be thrown off by their scent. I can't imagine how hard that was to just sit around and wait for news, not being able to do anything to help. Afterward, Kenneth said, I would still rather have gone. Basically, you're just stuck there waiting. For a week, searchers scoured the area 24-7, but there was no trace of Sammy. By October 21st, most of the search had been scaled back. The hopes of finding him alive was pretty much gone due to time and temperature. On October 23rd, 2006, the official search for Sammy Belke ended. It's important to note, authorities did not consider foul play to be a factor. But Sammy's parents couldn't give up, even when it was clear he wouldn't be found alive. Kirsten raised more than $6,000 to reimburse some of the expenses of volunteer searchers and also hired a tracker for the next summer to continue searching for her child. She told the media, I need evidence of Sammy for the final grieving process to occur. 
Leftover money she raised went toward a scholarship to send children with disabilities to Portland Parks and Recreation summer camps in Sammy's name. Grieving privately, Sammy's parents stayed out of the public eye for about a month after he vanished. After that, they came forward to publicly thank everyone who'd been involved in the search. They felt that people across the country who were following their story deserved to know more about Sammy and have closure, so they gave a press conference. Kirsten told the media, When one child is lost, it touches everyone. So this is not just a private tragedy. This is a community tragedy, and it touches everyone with a very heavy hand. And although visibly heartbroken, Kirsten said she is still thankful for the gift of Sam's life. The couple talked about their first Thanksgiving without their son, saying, The things that are special about Thanksgiving are the fact that it's a celebration of the warmth of home and hearth and the heart of the family. And this year, the heart that held our family together is gone. They remembered that at Thanksgiving dinner, Sammy always declined mashed potatoes and salad, focusing on turkey and his grandmother's hot rolls, and that he would just devour them. In the years since Sammy vanished, there have been many attempts to find his remains. But 18 years later, still nothing has ever been found. Kirsten believes Sammy didn't go far from the spot his father last saw him because he loved playing hide-and-seek and was able to find hiding spaces that most people would walk right by and not notice. Of course, Sammy was never found, so there's always the chance he's not in the woods at all. In 2018, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released an age-progressed photo showing what Sammy might look like at age 19, just in case he's out there somewhere. Officially, foul play is not suspected in Sammy's disappearance. He's believed to have gotten lost or injured and died in the park. But the only way we'll ever truly know what happened is if he is found or someone comes forward with the truth. And there are plenty of other theories that have circulated since October 14, 2006. Many people were immediately suspicious of Kenneth's story and wanted to tear it apart. Why would he stop the car to play hide-and-seek with a child when it was getting dark, in the woods, in the cold winter? How did he not catch up to his son? Most adults can outrun an 8-year-old child, especially if they're worried. The fact Sammy was autistic was a sticking point for a lot of people in online chat rooms discussing the case. Because if you have an autistic child that has a tendency to run off and hide, wouldn't you take more precautions? Children with autism and children in general have no sense of fear or self-preservation. Most parents would not put the safety of their child in jeopardy. Kenneth was put into question many times because he was the last person to see Sammy alive. Is it possible he lost his temper and something happened? Parents of kids on the spectrum learn fast that normal parenting goes out the window. You have to learn a different set of tools to deal with overstimulation and meltdowns. Maybe Kenneth stopped the car because Sammy was having a tantrum and wanted to get out. So his dad finally gave in and let him out on his own to have a moment of peace. By the time he took a breather and looked for Sammy, he was gone. Or maybe he lost his temper and in a moment of weakness hurt Sammy and then hid the body. One rather long Reddit thread discussed this possibility. Someone with the username Wombat Farm Tech, claiming to be Sammy's cousin, tried desperately to debunk the theory that Kenneth would ever hurt his son, writing, You disgust me. My uncle would never do anything. They hung there for hours, looking at rocks, playing, enjoying the scenery. They heard my cousin, they think, one night, but could never locate him. In a June 2023 response, he wrote, The boy would often hide and not come when called. 
He thought it was a game, and the family would search high and low until they found him. I would know because I was there. He was my family member. There was one time all the kids were visiting our grandparents, and we were trying to find him, and we called and called and called and called, and couldn't find him. He would refuse to come because he didn't understand that when you are called, you come, and he was hiding in a tiny corner under the porch. We sat there searching for him for a good 30 minutes. Before you judge someone's family and make accusations, read up more on autism and how the brain works. It disgusts me with what I have heard and read about what people have said about my uncle. My uncle would have never done anything like that in his lifetime, ever. Have you been to Crater Lake? Have you seen the ledge they are talking about? It is steep and rocky and can be difficult to run up. 50 feet is a decent amount of space between people, especially going uphill. Of course, there's the possibility that Kenneth's whole story was a lie. Was Sammy even in the park that day? A lot of people questioned when the last time anyone other than his father saw Sammy. There was a passing motorist who said he spotted Sammy and his father playing in the woods before he vanished. So that should confirm Kenneth's story. Or does it? Could that motorist have been mistaken or seen another father and son? Anything is possible. There are a number of scenarios that paint Kenneth as a bad father, but in all reality, there were no reports of him having a temper or lacking patience with his son. Everyone said he loved Sammy and would never do anything to hurt him. So maybe being in the woods that day was just a lapse in judgment that he'll forever regret. I'm sure he never considered something like this happening. Accidents happen all the time. It only takes a second to lose sight of a child, especially one that's trying to hide. So if Sammy did vanish in the woods that day, how was no trace of him ever found? He was a small boy that was great at hiding and liked to be in small, tight spaces. Crater Lake has a million rocks, overhangs, crevices, caves, trees. He could have hid somewhere that people have walked right by for years now and never knew. Maybe a little hole under a tree that has fallen in between some rocks, a cave with a tiny entrance. The possibilities are endless. Or he was running and fell into a hole, possibly hurting himself. The snow covered him and he froze to death. He hasn't been found because the hole was covered by falling rocks or a tree or just ground cover. I think that's a great theory, but it doesn't explain why neither the dogs or heat sensors found him. Maybe they never found him because he's in the lake. A lot of the articles I read mentioned that the lake would have been difficult for Sammy to reach, but not impossible. According to the National Library of Medicine, drowning is actually the number one cause of death for children of all ages with autism. Autistic kids are known to have a behavior called elopement, or a tendency to wander off. The reason for drowning is because of an attraction to the way light shines off the water. So they wander and they go towards the water. Kenneth said Sammy saw something gold shining and was going toward it, so it's likely he was attracted to shiny things. I think Sammy absolutely could be in the water, even if it was hard to get to. People underestimate how far a child can travel on their own, especially when they're scared. Children have been found miles away from where they went missing, and the lake was right there. We know the lake was searched, but it's also the deepest lake in the United States, so it would be difficult, if not impossible, to find a small body. Kidnapping is a theory that has been thrown around, and authorities must still consider it some kind of a possibility, because they put out age progression photos of Sammy. In this case, I doubt that's what happened. They were in the middle of nowhere in an unscheduled stop to play games outside. It would be a one in a million chance that a kidnapper was waiting right there in the cold before dark. The timing would have to be impeccable. Also, a kidnapper would leave tracks, smells, some kind of evidence. Kenneth was only 50 feet away. He would have seen or heard something if Sammy was taken. So I don't think Sammy was kidnapped. 
While I'm not one to believe too much in the paranormal, I'd also never rule it out. This is not the first time people, and especially children, have gone missing in the area. There are a lot of myths surrounding the lake. Klamath Indian tribe members recognized the lake as a site of power and danger, and they feared the dangerous beings they thought lived inside. According to legend, the lake was kind of a doorway or a crossroads to the darkness of the below world or hell. The Klamath also believed that if a person stared too long at the lake's surface, they'd be unable to look away. It was thought that the lake had the power to mesmerize and trap people and even lure them toward their death. The legend of drowning spirit tells of a spirit that haunts the lake, seeking revenge for a tragic drowning incident. The spirit is said to lure unsuspecting swimmers into the water, pulling them down to their watery graves. Locals caution against swimming alone or venturing too close to the lake's edge. In July of 1947, a man and his wife, the Corneliuses, were vacationing at Crater Lake when suddenly Mr. Cornelius handed his wife his wallet and watch and then spontaneously slid down a rock chute. He endured a horrific fall, injuring himself terribly, only to then hobble into the lake where he drowned himself. There are a number of unexplained deaths and disappearances that have occurred around Crater Lake. Photographer Charles McCullough went missing in 1975 after going out to take winter photos of the lake. Even with extensive search efforts, his body was not discovered until the following year. Strangely, his toe and shin bones were the only body parts found. One ranger describes it as if Charles had simply melted away. Additionally, there have been many bizarre cases of aircraft fatalities and disappearances over the lake. One of the strangest occurred in the spring of 1944. Two Grumman torpedo planes were flying in formation when one of the pilots turned and saw the other plane had simply vanished. It was later determined that the plane crashed into the lake and sunk to the bottom, even though the weather had been completely clear. It was as if the lake had snatched the aircraft from the sky. Also, if you believe, many sightings of Sasquatch or Bigfoot have been documented in the area. In one recorded encounter, park rangers followed a massive shaggy two-footed beast into the forest, but they had to turn back when the creature started to violently throw pine cones at them. Multiple people have reported seeing dragon-like monsters looming beneath the lake's surface, especially around Wizard Island. It is an extremely deep lake. There could be something unknown living there. There have been a lot of UFOs spotted above Crater Lake, Witnesses even claimed to have seen UFOs flying in and out of the water. Who's to say one didn't snatch Sammy from the mountaintop that day? And even though it's unlikely, it would not have been the first kidnapping from Crater Lake that's on record. Just a few years before Sammy vanished, in December 1998, 8-year-old Derek Engabretson from Klamath County disappeared while looking for Christmas trees with his father and grandfather. While searching for him, footprints and a snow angel were found near a road but Derek was never seen again. There were reports of a mysterious vehicle in the area, and in 2008, Frank James Milligan, a convicted child rapist, was considered a potential suspect in the disappearance. But as of now, there are still no answers. There are so many missing people at Crater Lake, in fact, that it's only second in the number of missing in national parks, the first being Yosemite National Park. Even with all of these theories, I think Sammy is still somewhere in Crater Lake and just hasn't been found. I believe his father's story, and I don't think there was a kidnapper. I hope that by covering more cases like this, one day his parents will have the answers they need to get closure. 
Let's make sure if you visit Crater Lake, you stay as safe as possible. A good thing to know is that the leading cause of death in any national park is drowning followed by car accidents. It's not murder, monsters, or even wild animals. The water in Crater Lake is cold year-round and not normally recommended for swimming because even experienced swimmers can get hypothermia. Also, it's really, really deep. But people are able to swim there in the summer months if they choose. Never go swimming alone, don't go too far out, and if you get cold, get out and take a break. The roads surrounding Crater Lake are winding, narrow, and often desolate, so any driving should be done very carefully. Also, just take your time. If you're in a national park, you shouldn't be in a hurry to get anywhere. Enjoy the scenery, enjoy your time, and always keep an eye out for wildlife. There's often heavy snowfall and rain in the park, and that can make road travel almost impossible. Make sure your car is equipped for winter conditions and check the weather before you go. Carry tire chains, a shovel, and a tow rope. Drive cautiously and watch out for black ice and slippery roads. The park is known for unpredictable weather that changes in the blink of an eye, even during the summer months. The elevation and interaction between warm and cold air masses contribute to some crazy weather patterns. So no matter what time of year, bring lots of layers to stay warm just in case. In the winter months, you must dress appropriately, even if you only plan on staying in your car. Bring warm, layered clothing, dress in moisture-wicking and insulating materials, and ensure that you have a waterproof outer layer to stay dry. Don't forget insulated and waterproof boots, gloves, a hat, and a scarf. Carry any essential supplies you might need, even if you're going out for a short time. Extra food, water, a first aid kit, a map, compass, a flashlight, and a fully charged mobile phone are crucial in the wilderness. There are a variety of your basic dangerous American animals living in Crater Lake, as well as the possibility of Bigfoot and aliens. As far as running into Bigfoot or aliens, I'd say go with your gut because I don't have any safety tips for that. But black bears definitely live in the mountains. While they're mostly shy and non-confrontational, bring bear spray because it's better to be safe than sorry. Never feed a bear and always store your food properly when you're camping. Use bear-resistant containers and if you're using a bear bag, hang it at least 10 feet off the ground and 4 feet away from the tree trunk. Bears can climb. Also, cook and eat away from your tent. If you see a bear, avoid sudden movements. Absolutely do not run from a black bear. That can trigger its instinct to chase, and they run way faster than humans. Do not turn your back to the bear. Talk calmly and firmly, and then just back away really slowly while facing it. Do not make direct eye contact, because that can be seen as a threat. If a black bear attacks you, fight back. If it's a grizzly, play dead. Really, if you see a bear, just use common sense, but don't run, and you should be just fine. Cougars are rare, solitary, elusive, and pretty much avoid humans. If you run into one, try to be as big as possible. Open up your jacket, put your arms up, wave them around. Unlike the bear, you do want to maintain eye contact, but again, don't run. Just back away slowly. If a mountain lion attacks, fight back. Avalanches and rock slides happen at Crater Lake, and they're normally triggered by earthquakes or volcanic activity. If you're going into backcountry areas, have avalanche safety knowledge, including how to use an avalanche beacon, shovels, and probes. If you're caught in an avalanche, swim and fight to stay near the top of the debris. Move your arms in a swimming motion to prevent being buried. 
protect your head, use your arms to shield you from impact with trees or rocks. When the avalanche slows down, try to create an air pocket in front of your face by cupping your hands. Then relax and try to conserve energy. So when you hear someone looking for you, you can yell or whistle. Crater Lake may partially freeze during the winter, but has not frozen over since 1949 because it's so deep. So don't take the chance by walking on the ice. Even if it seems frozen over, it's probably thin or unstable. Avoid going into the woods or the hiking trails alone. If there's an accident, it could be impossible to find you. As always, whenever you're traveling, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going and what you'll be doing and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. At the time of his disappearance, Samuel Belke was 4 feet 8 inches tall, 85 pounds, and 8 years old. He is white with short, light brown hair and brown eyes. He has a mole under his right ear and a mole on the left side of his throat. He was last seen wearing a long-sleeved black and green t-shirt, cargo pants, a blue winter coat, and red suede slip-on shoes with rubber soles. Officially, Sammy's disappearance is classified as a suspected accident and suspected exposure resulting in death. The case is still open, and they've never found any clues. Sammy's national missing and unidentified persons number is MP5. 862. If you have any information about Samuel Balke, please call the Klamath County Sheriff's Office at 541-883-7479 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 800-THE-LOST. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod and subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn more about my personal travels. That's patreon.com slash the last trip podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>